Thank you, Ken. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all here. I, uh, with Thanksgiving right around the corner, just want to tell you how thankful I am for you, uh, church family. Uh, just really thankful that I get to serve at a place um, where I really actually like the people. Um, it's not always the case, uh, but I actually like you. I, I'm really thankful for you. If you're visiting with us today, I'm thankful for you. Um, it's not a small thing to go to a new church and, and give away an hour of your time, and so thank you for trusting us with your time. Uh, what Ken prayed is really our hope for you, that you would hear from God today, and he would speak from uh, his word, and you would know that he loves you, he sees you, he cares for you. Um, we are going to be starting a new series today, I'll, I'll tell you more about that in a minute, it'll be in Roman, starting in Romans 10, where Ken was reading. A um, couple of just quick announcements. Um, so tonight is our elder ordination service, um, it's at 5 o'clock uh, in this room, I invite you to come be a part of that, been expressing just how excited I am for um, both for Shane uh, Belter and Jason Zeta to come on as elders like I'm thankful and excited about what God's done in their lives as they've walked through the elder mentorship um, I'm thankful for our church family because it's, it's a beautiful thing when God raises up leadership from within and you can actually see the gospel transforming and growing uh, people but uh, if I'm going to just be completely honest I'm excited to have more help so uh, so while we get together tonight at five o'clock to celebrate what God has done I'm also excited about what God is going to do and yet to do, uh, not just through these two individuals, but um, through our elder body, um, through our staff, and ultimately through you, the church, as we continue forward on our mission to make disciples for Jesus. All right, so uh, we've been in this fall, men and women have been in um, a series, the theme of the, the women's and ministry, men's ministry theme this fall has been the God, the Good Shepherd. We've been looking at how God refers to himself as a good shepherd. Um, what does that mean? And then what does that mean in our daily lives? And we'll be wrapping that up, ladies, this week, women's ministry. Uh, we'll be wrapping up that series for you. Uh, so 6.30 in this room, ladies, please come join us for women's ministry as we look once again at, at Jesus, the Good Shepherd. And then men, you'll be two weeks after that. So not Thanksgiving week, but the following week, men will show up in this room to wrap up that series. All right, so we are in Romans 10, and we're starting a new series today. Um, the title of the series is Sharing the Story. So we spent six weeks in, uh, in answering this question, what is the gospel? What is it and what does it mean? And how do, I, uh, how do I receive what the gospel has to offer? So now the question is, what do I do with it? Like, what does that mean now in terms of the world I live in? And how does it impact my purpose? And so this series really is going to be a lot like part two of the What is the Gospel series, we're going to spend some time talking about now sharing the gospel um, with people in our lives. And so today, um, I picked a passage in Romans 10 that will really bridge the gap between what the gospel is and what our response to the gospel is, what God's promise in the gospel is, and then his calling for us to do something with it. Okay, so that's where we're going today. I want to talk a little bit about the big picture of the scripture so you can see that what we're talking, what we've talked about over the last six weeks and what we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks is really the central theme of the entire Bible. And so when we look at the Bible as a singular meta narrative, you're going to notice some remarkable things. That the first two chapters in Genesis um, parallel and complement what happens in the last two chapters of Revelation. 
So what happens in Genesis 1 and 2 is God creates the world, the universe, and Eden and puts man in it, uh, quickly gets interrupted by chapter 3. By the time we get to Revelation 21 and 22, God has created a new heaven and a new earth, and essentially a new Eden has put, put us back in it, what we were meant to, where we were meant to be from the beginning. And so you can see this beautiful meta-narrative, but the question is, how do we get there? Not just what happens in the in-between, but how does God do that? How does he take um, fallen humanity, uh, human beings who, who messed it up the first time, and how do, what does he do, and how does he then uh, restore us back to Eden? And the answer is the gospel. The gospel is the answer to that question. And so now we're going to look at, well, then what do we do with this gospel? Um, so I'm going to actually start in a couple of verses before uh, where Ken was reading. I'm going to start in verse 9. And this will remind us of this last series we were just in. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's our response. Okay, we believe and we confess. Verse 10, for with your heart one believes and is justified, and with your mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to or given over to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And then we get this beautiful gospel promise. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the promise of the gospel. And if we aren't sure who everyone is, right before that, he says there's no distinction. Multiple times in the, in the book of Romans, Paul is making sure we understand, as he writes this letter, that there is no distinction for those who God calls to himself and saves. He's calling from all corners of humanity, all colors of skin, all languages, all ethnicities, every tribe, every tongue is being invited to call on him. And the promise of the gospel is everyone, everyone who calls on him will be what? Saved. And that is the promise of the gospel. And so now that leaves us with some questions. Well, how is God going to get this message then to every tribe and every language and every people? How is God going to make the gospel known to those who don't know it? I mean, we just spent six weeks in a series, right, getting more and more familiar with this gospel. And how is God going to get it from this room, from your mind and your heart, to those who don't know it, who haven't heard it? Essentially, how is God going to bridge the gap between Edens? How is God going to save those who, because of the fall, are now banished from Eden? How is God going to call them to himself and reconcile a relationship with these that they might too enjoy what we hope to enjoy in Revelation 21 and 22? And so out of this now, Paul is going to lay out God's plan for you and for me to take this message to others. And so we'll pick this up, and what's going to happen is he's going to use a series of rhetorical questions. Before I read the first one here in verse 14, I want to think about 
some of the ways that God makes himself known in the Bible, some of the ways that God grabs the attention of people when he wants to speak to them. I was thinking about this this week in the book of Exodus, God uses a burning bush. Right, this burning bush had symbolism of God's glory. and right, Moses was told, take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground, it's the presence of the Lord. But essentially God gets Moses' attention through what? A burning bush. Does that mean then that God's going to use a burning bush? He's going to give you a burning bush to take with you to work. And so anytime you need to have a conversation with a coworker, you pull out your burning bush and go, hey, isn't that cool? Okay, go, I want to tell you about Jesus. No. Numbers 22, God speaks through Balaam's donkey. Is that we all need to get a pet donkey so we can carry it around with us so God can speak? And we run into somebody who doesn't know Jesus, like, hey, my donkey's got some things to say to you. Would you just listen for a minute? God speaks through miracles. He speaks through pillars of smoke, pillars of fire, parting of the Red Sea, walking on water, turning water to wine, healing of the blind, healing of the paralyzed. God also speaks from heaven. Did this at Jesus' baptism. He did it again at the transfiguration. A voice from heaven. Is that how God is going to make the gospel known then to those who do not know him? Romans 1, the first chapter of this book, says that God will make himself known through creation. So we're just going to leave it up to creation. The sun, sun rises and the sun sets and all that God has created gives testimony to who he is. And so are we going to let the mountains then step into the, the role of sharing the gospel? So Paul begins to ask some very clear and convicting questions. He asks the question this way. How then, if the gospel promises that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? No one is going to call on Jesus to save them if they don't believe. Right? We just came out of that. Everyone who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart will be saved. Paul's like, okay. Well, then how in the world are they ever going to call on somebody in whom they have not believed? And then he follows with this question, and how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? Okay. Well, that takes the, the sunrises and sunsets and the mountains and the, and the oceans out of the equation. While they give testimony to, to the goodness and the glory of God, they don't actually speak words. Right? So some, somebody's going to have to speak here. So how can they believe in him and whom they have not heard? And the next question is this. How are they going to hear without someone preaching? This word means to proclaim. As we hear the word preaching, and automatically most of the room is going, then that's your job. And you're thinking about me and what I'm doing up here. You're like, God, that's your job. I'm telling you, um, it's not my job. I don't want that job. That job's too big for me, and I can't do it. Like, I don't know the people you know, and I'm not going to run into the people you run into tomorrow. And mathematically, it's just not going to work out if God is hoping that all the preachers will be the ones to share the gospel with those who don't know. The idea here is the, somebody's going to have to open their mouth and speak. Words have to be spoken for somebody to hear words, to believe in their heart, to call on Jesus and be saved. It's going to take words, and somebody's going to have to preach or proclaim. 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Even if you have words to say and you want to say them, you have to be intentional with that way that you live your life to run into people in order to share words that they could hear and believe and call on Jesus and be saved. How in the world are they going to hear without someone being sent? And then he ends with this, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. That's the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who take the gospel to those who've never heard it and share it with them. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good or preach good news. Now, there's a, a word in, uh, that we use in church, the church world called evangelism. Um, evangelism is the idea of sharing this gospel news with others. That's evangelism, or you're evangelizing, and those who do that are referred to as evangelists. Now, some of you, when you hear that, you're thinking about the, the, the person on TV, the televangelist, or you're thinking about maybe a revival service you went to, an evangelist came in, okay? And now there's different uses of that word in the modern-day church, and I'll say this, biblically speaking, there are those who have a specific gifting and calling to evangelize in a way where more people come to Christ maybe than others. There's a, there's a gift of evangelism. Some would say guys like Billy Graham had that gift because of the hundreds of thousands of people who came to faith in Jesus by hearing Billy Graham's words, calling on Jesus, and being saved. We have different individuals in the New Testament who are referred to as evangelists. What I don't want to do is to assume then that everything Paul is talking about is just instruction for these elite gospel sharers. Because I think we're going to see today is that there is a general calling for everyone who believes to be an evangelist in their own world, in their own life, in their own going to and fro. So we're going to look today at a couple of things. One, this misunderstanding that only a few are called to be evangelists. Kind of like a few are called to be singers, right? We see the worship team up there, and we're like, I love what y'all do, but I could never do that. Maybe you've encountered, you've been around somebody who just shares the gospel. Like, I love to hear Ken, who just prayed, share the gospel. That dude is an evangelist. I envy that. Like, I want to be more like Ken in that. Right? But that does not mean the rest of us are off the hook. And the second part of this is there's this kind of age-old debate around what does it mean um, to be an evangelist in the world? And there would be some who would say, and I'll kind of I'll show you two camps. One, one camp would say that the gospel is only shared through words, like we just talked about. So evangelism is only um, the process of using words. That how you live your life, how you interact with others doesn't matter. As long as you share the right words and you lay the right train track, the train will move forward. And there are those who might say, you know what, I'm not good with words, and so I don't want to use words, and so I'm just going to live my life in a way 
where you can see a reflection of Jesus' love um, off, kind of bounce off of me. So I'm going to be kind to you so you can see that he's kind to me. I'm going to be loving towards you so you can see that he's been loving towards me. And so I'm going to live my life in a way that shows you that I'm, something's changed inside of me. I'm not like everybody else. And I'm going to let you see Jesus through my actions, through my attitude, through my personality, through my kindness. So let's just read some scripture here to give us some guidance then on what, a, what is our role, what is our calling. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 5 is a place often people will refer to when they say, hey, I don't want to really use words, I just want you to see Jesus in my actions. Verse 13 of Matthew 5 says this, you are the salt of the earth, speaking to believers. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So one way he wants you to think of yourself as a Christian, this is from Jesus, you're the salt of the world. Something about you is salty. We won't get into unpacking all that. But then he follows it up by saying, oh, and here's another metaphor. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a stand and it gives light to all the house. Okay, so that's the idea of saying like, oh, and you're also like a light. Your life is like a light. How silly would it be to, to light a lantern so you can see in a house that you put a bucket over it? You're like, wait, that defeats the purpose. I can't see it. But remove the bucket so we can use the lamp to see the house. You, Christian, you're a, you're a light out in the world, like a lantern. Just like a city that's up on a hill, you can't hide that. Everybody can see it from a long ways away. That's what your life is meant to be like. In the same way, verse 16, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So those who be say, okay, that's my role of evangelism. I'm just going to let you see my good works and I'm going to let you come to the, to the right conclusion that Jesus loves you. Right? So the problem is, Paul's like, hey, how are they going to believe in one of whom they haven't heard? And how are they going to hear unless you speak? So yes, there is a call. It does matter how you live your life. It's not just that you have the right words and you share the right words. It's that those right words are embodied in somebody who believes the gospel and there should be a reflection of, the, of Jesus in your life. First Peter chapter 3, another text that will help us, verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord, as Christ the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for your hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So now the idea is if I live my life as a light, if I live my life in such a way that people begin to see Jesus in me, they're going to ask, and I need to be ready to use words to give a defense or an explanation for why I have hope in the world. And so it isn't just enough to do good deeds. It isn't just enough to live in a way that's attractive to others, but that it should also be ready to use words. And I'm going to give you some guidance around that in a minute, okay? But that I would be willing to use words as an evangelist, to invite people into a relationship with Jesus. 
Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 is going to help us pull this together. Before we get there, though, I don't want to miss something, please. I don't think we have an issue with this at Solid Rock, but if we do, please hear this. The end of 1 Peter 3.15 says that we were supposed to do this with, is it still up there on the screen? Let me throw it back up there. What are the two adjectives here? With what? Say it out loud. And? Okay. So as I share the gospel and I use my words to, with others who don't know, there's a certain heart attitude that I'm being called to. Okay? So this is not grab a bullhorn and go out on the street corner and yell viciously at people. Okay? I don't think we struggle with that at Solid Rock, but I'm letting you know that's not evangelism. You're not allowing your light to shine. Your good deeds aren't being made known to glorify God. You're coming across as a jerk. And so the, the reflection of Jesus that people are seeing, if you do that, is, oh, Jesus must be a jerk who yells at me. Okay? So I want to, like, say that. Like, the point isn't that you would go in with condemnation and shame and anger and try to fearfully push people to Jesus. There is a sense of you need to embody the gospel in your life. If God has been kind to you, be kind to others. And so Peter's reminding us of this. As you are prepared to give an account to others for this gospel that you have a hope in, do it with gentleness and respect. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, it's a very convicting passage. Almost chose it for our primary passage today, uh, but I decided not to. Uh, but there's so much in it. We're going to start in verse 17. So verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Similar to what Paul was saying in Romans 9 and 10. You've been saved. Here, Paul is saying, you're a new creation. The old you has passed away, and the new you has come. And what I want you to see from this, though, is Paul is saying this about every Christian. Okay? This is true of you if you're in Christ, every Christian. So we don't have to guess who his audience is. He's saying, hey, if you're in Christ, everybody in the room, you are a new creation. The old has passed, and the new has come. Now we look to what he says next. All of this is from God, who, through Christ, he reconciled us to himself. Remember, God is restoring what was lost in Eden. And in the in-between, God is restoring humanity to himself. And all of humanity will live eternally in a new Eden, a new heaven and a new earth. But look at what he says next. Not only has he reconciled us to himself, he gave us something. Every Christian has been given the ministry of what? Reconciliation. It's a big word. It's evangelism. That's what happens when you share the gospel. The person who hears it and believes it and calls on Jesus is reconciled to God. You see that? And so if you're here and you're in Christ, God has given you something. He's given you a ministry. Anybody wondering, what's my ministry? First and foremost, God has given you the ministry of evangelism, of reconciliation. That is, 
In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And, here it comes again, entrusting to us. He gave you something, and he entrusted to you something. What? The message of reconciliation. That's the gospel. That's what we just spent six weeks going through. You have been entrusted with the ministry of evangelism. You have been entrusted with the gospel. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Who is we? Everybody who is a Christian. You are an ambassador for Christ. That's why Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the world. You're going to go out and represent me and my Father, the power of my Spirit. You are my ambassadors. What does that mean? It means that God is making his appeal through us. I try to think of a good illustration. To, I really couldn't think of one. The best I could think of is, is walkie-talkies, and this illustration is going to fall short quick but I'll use it to get us started, okay? Um, so God doesn't use walkie-talkies, but if he did, uh, he's got a walkie-talkie, and he's got a message that he wants to get to the world, but the other end of that walkie-talkie is not a huge speaker blasting sound out into the world. The other end of that is a walkie-talkie, and it's yours. That's his spirit living in you. And so, yes, God is trying to speak to the world, but his appeal to the world comes through you. Are you with me? Like, there is no plan B. God is no longer speaking through donkeys. I mean, metaphorically, maybe. You with me? He's no longer saying, here, take this burning bush and people will listen to you. He's saying, no, I've given you a message. It's the message of the gospel, and I'm speaking to you. I'm, I'm giving you a message. My spirit in you is nudging and prompting and speaking and and, and, and guiding you through life. And unless you speak, the people I want to speak to will not hear. Can we let that settle on us for a minute? Unless you speak to the people I'm calling you to speak to, they will not hear. There is no plan B. God, the God of the universe, Bridging the gap between Edens. He's making his appeal to all of humanity in the in-between and reconciling to himself through your voice, through your words. That is his only appeal to those who don't know him. Every Christian is called to be an evangelist. While some may be incredibly gifted at it, Others of us are not. We are all called. So how do we do this? We won't unpack all this today. There is help. There's training. There's examples that we could give. But the idea is that, first of all, that you're always ready to give an account for your hope. Why did you show up today, Christian? Why are you here? I heard you singing. Why were you singing? I see something different in your life. Why, why is it different? Why are you different? Why do you go to church on Sunday? Why don't you just sleep in? Why are you wearing a green volunteer shirt? Like, who wants to go be with somebody else's kids after you've been with your own kids all week? 
Why? Give an account for your hope. It could be something simple as, honestly, here's why. I would be lost and my life would be hopeless if it weren't for the grace of Jesus. That's not an elaborate gospel presentation, but it's certainly the opening of a door. That's what Peter's saying. Always be ready to give an account for the hope you have. Have it ready. If you need to, get a tattoo and put it on your forearm. So if somebody asks you a question, you roll up your sleeve, go, hang on a second, let me check my notes. But that you are prepared to at least give an account. The second part of this is this, that you would be ready to share the gospel. Simply say this, here's why I have hope. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that. I believe that he died for my sins and rose from the grave, and I also believe that anybody who calls on him will be saved. It wasn't, again, wasn't a huge elaborate gospel presentation, but that might lead to a longer conversation for you to have. But I think every Christian should at least be prepared to make those two statements, or your version of those two statements. That's why we teach the gospel week in, week out. If you're like, hey, I, I, I didn't catch all that. It's okay. Talk, let's talk. Let's think about what does this mean? That's why we recite this in baptism. We recite this very thing. One, I would be lost and my life would be hopeless if it were not for the grace of Jesus. Number two, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he died for my sins and he rose from the grave and I believe that everybody who calls on him will be saved. If you want to take one more step of evangelism, is that something you might be willing to do today? Are you at a place in your life where you'd want to take that step and call on him? Now, the next question is, where do we do this? So, just newsflash, we're sending you all to Africa. You've got about 30 days to pack. The sign-up list is that, no. Um, I love the way Jesus said this to his disciples in Matthew 28. So, Jesus is with um, 11 of the 12 disciples. They say, hey, guys, here's your mission in the world. I want you to go make more disciples. And then what are those disciples going to do? They're going to make more disciples. And so, you and I are here today because of that mission. But the beginning of that is this, therefore go, and you could translate it literally as you are going. So the idea isn't that you have to sign up to go to Africa. Now, some of you may be called to Africa. I'm, that don't listen to my voice, okay? But if God's voice on the walkie-talkie, if you're getting that, then that's between you and him. But here's what I do know. You are going to go outside these doors and scatter here in just a little bit. You're going to go. To your, to your world, to your life. Some of you are going home, some of you are going to eat, some of you are going to work. You're going to go, and Jesus would say, well, as you go, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be on mission. Be looking. Be sensitive to the idea that I'm going to want to use your words for somebody to hear. As you go, make disciples. I love in, uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 4, after this, you know, this major wave of persecution hits the church, Christians are essentially scattering and running for their lives. And Acts 8, 4 says, Now those who were scattered, so those who were leaving and running for their lives, they went about preaching the word. As they ran for their lives, as they just left Jerusalem, as they went to different places, they were continuously mindful of this commission to share the gospel. So here's what I want you to hear today as we wrap up. I want you to hear this. You, Christian, you are a missionary and you are an evangelist. You are. Not the person sitting next to you. I mean, yeah, them too, but I mean you. 
You are a missionary and you are an evangelist. How are they going to hear unless you go? As you leave here and you scatter into our community, as you leave here and you go into your neighborhood, as you leave here and you go into your home, as you leave here and go to work, as you leave here and go to school, as you leave here and you go spend time with your friends, let your light shine, be prepared to give an account, and be prepared to preach, share, proclaim, say the gospel that somebody might hear and believe and call on Jesus and be saved. That's your mission. That is your calling. And here's where we'll wrap up. Verse 17, going back to Romans 10, says this. And let me just take the pressure off. You can't make somebody believe. If you're fearful that you're going to do it wrong, okay, you, you, you can't do it wrong in the sense that you're just bearing testimony to the goodness of Jesus and sharing the gospel to the best of your ability. But you can't make anybody believe, so the pressure is not on you that they would come to faith and a light bulb would come off and then they would be the next Billy Graham. Okay, so you can't make somebody believe. You can just share the gospel, but look at what Paul says in verse 17. He says, faith, believing, comes from what? Hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the gospel. Something supernatural can take place when you share the gospel. You aren't alone. When Jesus said, go make disciples, he said, oh, behold, I'm with you. He told his disciples, hey, don't go anywhere and share any good news with anybody until my spirit comes upon you. That's the other end of the walkie-talkie, God's Holy Spirit in you. And he is not expecting you to have more in your pocket than you already have. Give an account for your hope. Tell people what you believe. Give an account for your hope and tell people what you believe. And in any situation you're in, you pull those two things out of your pocket, the Holy Spirit of God can turn on faith inside of somebody, can stir up faith to believe. Faith comes from hearing, hearing through the words of Christ. All right. Let's do this. Um, let's wrap up with some questions to think about how we now apply this. We're going to come back next week and look at what this looked like in Jesus' example. Like, what did this look like for Jesus to be an evangelist? So we'll do that, and we'll follow up with one more week before we start our Advent series. But for today, let's think about these questions. First of all, when you think about this, how does God's love for you motivate you to love others? If you don't have a sincere love for others, you're going to be a horrible evangelist. You're probably not going to do it with gentleness and respect. This starts with you coming to grips with how much God loves you. The fact that he was willing to come find you. How does God's love for you then motivate you to want to love others? I want you to think practically about your life, where you're going from here. How can you actively live as an evangelist in your daily life? What would it look like to live your life in such a way where everywhere you go, you're ready to give an account and you're ready to share what you believe?
Here's the next question. How does the calling to be an evangelist for Christ influence the way you engage in relationships with believers and non-believers? This should impact the way we engage with people around us. Hey, ask for, if you're in a conversation with somebody that's a stranger, ask for their name. So important, your waiter, your waitress, somebody you're in line with at Starbucks, like, just ask for the name. That's so important. I see you. You matter. Like, I'm just living my life always very intentionally. I see you. I care about you. That may be the end of the conversation. But it's a great doorway into getting to know somebody better. How does the calling to be an evangelist for Christ influence the way, just practically like I just gave you, practically influence the way you interact with others? And last question is this, is what step or steps could you take this week towards living as an evangelist in your home, workplace, school, neighborhood. First, you may need to spend some time figuring out what you have in your pockets, and that's okay. If that's where you are, let's do that. But once you figure that out, what are some steps you could take to live as an evangelist this week in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, or in your school, wherever you go? All right, so I want to spend some time praying for you and for us as a church um, I don't know specifically how God may be speaking to you, but we want to give you some follow-through steps. Um, we have prayer partners who will be at the front. Um, just can't tell you enough how honored these people are when you take time to go grab one of them and share something going on in your life that they could pray over. So please do that. Um, if you aren't quite sure what you have in your pocket, you're not quite sure what it means to be an evangelist, start with a prayer partner and say, will you pray for me in this? But then connect with one of our pastors or elders here. Let us help you figure out what you have in your pocket. What, is, what would this look like with your voice and your words and your story to be an evangelist? Okay, I want to leave you with those steps. If you're new here, please drop off your welcome card at the Welcome Center. Um, let me pray over us and our worship team will come back out. Uh, Father, thank you for this gospel message that is so powerful that it, it literally reconciles the universe. And yet, God, you have called each one of us as these little ambassadors, these little spokespersons, as, as evangelists, that as we go about our daily life in the world, we would always be prepared to give an account for the hope we have in Jesus and to share with others what we believe. And Father, what's amazing is that is your only plan. Like, that just blows my mind. That's your only plan to reconcile the world to yourself. And so, God, I pray we would leave here today not heaped up with shame and fear and some kind of weird motive that if we don't get this right, you're going to be mad at us. But I pray we would leave here today with excitement, a sense of honor and awe of saying, man, God, you've invited me to be a part of this. And, and then, Father, we pray that there would be a sensitivity to your Holy Spirit in each of our hearts and minds as we go out this week, that we would truly be listening to your voice inside of us, God, that we might truly share the good news with others. Father, anybody here that's just struggling today in some kind of way we haven't even talked about, you know what that is. So we do ask for your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts now. Draw us to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.